Welcome to the United State of Us podcast. My name is Erin Flood, and I am overwhelmed with joy to have my friend Stacy Mertens with us today. Stacy, welcome to the podcast. We've talked about doing this for months, and here we finally are. Thank you for having me, Erin. I'm so honored that you chose me as one of your guests. Well, I, I, um, the reason why we've talked about this for months is because you are someone that I love and admire, and I'm so excited to talk about your life and um, what I think is um, one of the greatest stories about the love that exists in a family that I've ever known. So I can't wait to get into the details of that today. Thank you. Um, first of all, you know that I start every podcast with two questions. The first one is, we often identify ourselves with the roles and the titles that we hold in this world. So do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and the roles and the titles that you hold in your life right now? Absolutely. So I am a mother to two adult children, Logan, who is 25, and Kane, who is 22. Um, I am a business owner. I own Benasari Salon in Fond du Lac. I'm a lot of things. I'm a daughter, a sister, uh, an aunt, a friend, you know, all of that wrapped into one big family. But um, probably the thing that, you know, is kind of hard for me right now is there's a new box that I have to check, you know, um, figuratively and literally. Um, and that is a widow. So. Yes. Um, And that's obviously something that we're going to talk about today. And in the interest of full disclosure, um, I'm a little nervous to do this because I, I love you so much. I don't want to ask the wrong thing. I don't want to ask too much or not enough or, um, so thanks for being willing to talk about the box that no one ever wants to, to check. So absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. And you could not ask the right, wrong, or any kind of question that I wouldn't feel comfortable with, Erin. You and I have had a lot of really deep and intimate conversations, so um, I always know that anything that you ask is coming from a place of love. Good. It is. Thanks. Um, Okay. So outside of those roles and titles that you hold... How would you describe yourself? You know, that is really kind of hard for me. Um, I do know that I'm an introverted extrovert. Um, I do love people, but I I very much like my time. Um, I am on a whole new kind of path of figuring out who, who it is I am. Um, my faith, you know, I am a woman of faith and, uh, that's truly important to me. So those are probably the two biggest things that I can identify with right now, you know, as I walk this unknown. Yeah. And it's funny. I always love when I 
feel like I know people dearly how they describe themselves versus, you know, I'm like wanting to fill in. Like (laughs) it's hard for me to bite my tongue and not be like, yeah, but you're such a helper and you're such a nurturer and you're such a, you know, so it's the, the things that jump forward for people versus, you know, being somebody that's lucky enough to be in your life and, and knows all these other qualities that you have. But, um, yeah. And like Aaron bite your tongue. And then I don't, then I tell you anyway, the things I think of. So (laughs) that's okay. That's okay. Um, okay. So I, I just feel like we should just, let's just jump right into it. Um, Tell us a little bit about, you told us that you have checked the widow box. Tell us a little bit about first your family and um, about Jamie. Uh, Wow. Um, I didn't think I'd get emotional Um, this quickly anyway. Yeah. Um, (laughs) We we always do with each other. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, um, Jamie and I met, gosh, I was in middle school, actually. And um, he was about five years older than I was. And I was babysitting for my aunt and uncle. And he was friends of theirs and played ball with them. And so, you know, every summer, I was kind of just around that group of people. And the older I got, I started playing co-ed softball with them. And, um, I always said it was kind of like a little summer fling, you know, my heart just every time I'd see them would get excited. And, but yeah, we both were dating other people. And so it wasn't until after high school that we started dating and, um, I was 19. (laughs) Um, seems like so long ago. Um, yeah. And we had been together for 26 years and, uh, July of 2019, he died suddenly of a, what they call a saddle pulmonary embolism. Uh, he was, he was the he was the realist in our relationship. He was the optimist. I was the pessimist. I would, you know, he just, he loved life to the fullest and he loved people. Um, it was something so incredible to watch, but yet so frustrating as the person closest to him, because I always felt like we got put on the back burner for everybody else. Um, but he worked at JFA Hearn for almost 30 years. Um, he was a very loyal person, both to his family, his friends, um, and really anybody, anybody. So, yeah. Yeah. You talk about his, um, his love for other people. And actually I think about, so we obviously, um, kind of knew each other through our families, you know, Mm -hmm. For lots of years, but really got close when I was the principal at your kid's school, yeah. and <laughs> and we we would end up volunteering together, and then be you know working at something together, and then we just I feel like some maybe it's it's our um, extroverted introvertness or the fact that you were always like willing to pop in and say. Um, do you want to finish your meeting and I'll take your kids outside and play right now versus it shoving everyone in your office? Right. Um, 
you know, and I'm also lucky enough to know your children. So, um, I think we just, we had a unique bond, I think. Um, and so I got to witness a lot of that, um, love that your family is willing to give to other people and other families. And you talk about that in, in, um, Jamie, and I think actually one of the first things we probably bonded over was that that like longing for maybe a bigger role in the day-to-day of our spouses, you know? Right. So um, it's interesting to hear you talk about that now because I remember that vividly of just being like, you know, well, they're always on the go or they're so dedicated to work or they're so you know, and those parts of them are things that I think probably both attracted us to our spouses. Um, but then the, it probably, the extrovert picked that person and then the introvert was like, but that's probably enough. Right. Nine fifteen, it's time to come home. Right. Oh, he okay. had no introvert. He had no introvert. He was all extrovert. Well, and he like, coached every, you know, was always around with your kids at sporting events and coached so much. And, um, one of the things that I think is really unique about him is that I think he probably held a really major pivotal role as a man in a lot of other young men's lives. He certainly did. And that was important to him without having any, you know, spotlight on him. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, a little bit about the events that transpired after you lost Jamie, just literally the events, because, um, I, I don't know that I've ever seen a community response to the loss of a person, like people responded to the loss of Jamie? It was so honoring, so overwhelming. Um, I signed the papers at 11.01 to say that he had perished. And um, by three o'clock, there were probably 150 people at our home. Food beverages, uh, storytelling. Um, and it continued all week long. Um, there were so many people. I just, I didn't even know what to do. Um, that, that whole week was such a blur. Um, each and every day it was repeated. People would show up, people would have, have a new story to tell. Um, and they were stories that I had never heard before. Um, anything from, did you know that your husband paid for my child to play travel soccer? No, I didn't know that. Um, 
the the day of the funeral, there were thousands of people that stood for hours um, to tell us a story and to uh, rally around us and to support us and to love us. And, you know, I knew he loved big and I knew he loved a lot of people. I never in my wildest dreams would have imagined that it would have turned out like that. Mm-hmm. Um, within two days, we knew that, you know, a couple of places were going to be where we gave our memorial funds from his uh, funeral too. But within a, a couple of days, there were um, blueprint drawings of an addition to our local athletic club, which kind of was our second home. It's across the street from our house. It's where he grew up playing. It's where he grew up volunteering and where our kids grew up playing. And um, that building was finished and dedicated on the one year anniversary of his passing. Which I mean, to add to the beauty of the story, I'm just going to interject a few things and I hope you don't mind. No. So you say thousands of people waited to honor Jamie and honor your family. There were literally pictures in the paper of the line that was wrapped for, I mean, I'm not exaggerating, miles outside of the funeral home um, in, in the middle of July when it was however many it was like 88 that day and hot and (laughs) um and um a full um church and with outdoor seating with screens outside for the number of people that wanted to honor Jamie and honor your family um at the church for his um funeral service it I mean picture boards. And, um, I don't know that I've ever seen, it makes me that I've ever seen the number of kids know how important it was to show up at some place to come in groups together. I mean, entire sports teams that showed up, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and I, I, because I knew the kids, I knew they were off at college or they were at a different phase of their life and still kind of like brought their gang back together to come back and, and support your family. Um, you know, there's something about kids that age that just. Absolutely. And I think for me, one of the things that stands out was, um, because Jamie loved kids, you know, um, how I ever ended up marrying somebody who loved kids so much when I really didn't even want children um, was kind of crazy. Um, But to watch because he, his uh, wake was on a Friday night. So that's typical baseball night in the summer for us. And to watch these families walk in and their little, their little, kindergartners, first, second, third graders, all with their uniforms on. And, um, our, our athletic club, they had hearts with the number 44, which is the number that Jamie wore most of his life 
all ironed on by the that Friday on their uniform. And so to see just, you know, the love of our friends and our, you know, coworkers and our family, but to see that these, these individuals would bring their children, um, you know, he was known as the candy stealer to some kids because when they'd come at, at Thanksgiving, instead of putting candy in the bucket, he would take a handful of candy out of their bucket and then replace it with a couple more handfuls. But, um, yeah, so it was, and it still is. I mean, I still think back to that day and as hard as the day was, it brings me so much joy and peace. Yeah. I mean, the amount of love, um, I remember driving, um, out to the, um, church and every little town that you went through and every sign that was outside, it was like, it was about Jamie and your family and loving him. And I mean, I don't, I don't think that in his lifetime, he, in my experience with him, he was such a humble person um, and much, much more eager to listen to a story about you than ever to tell a story, you know, about himself. For sure. um, I can't imagine that in his lifetime, he thought that he loved people in such a profound way. I, I don't think he ever realized ever. I mean, I didn't, I mean, like I said, I know that he loved large, but I never, I, I don't think either one of us understood that. Um, and it was pretty amazing. It still is. I mean, it still is amazing when I think back of it to all of it. Um, okay. So it was, it was obviously, uh, um, just because of the grief and the shock, mm -hmm. the shock of all of this, those, those days after that we just talked about, I'm sure were, um, foggy. And so I'm going to ask you to kind of go back and forth between sure. time periods for a little while. But I remember, um, we were up North when I, you know, found out. And so we came home from up North and I, of course, like the thousands of other people that you talked about was like, I, I just need to see them. I need to give them a hug and see if there's anything I can do, which is something I'm going to talk to you about. But I remember pulling in and the boys were inside watching, I'm sure not watching, but staring at the television. Um, and you were outside mowing your lawn. You were outside riding the lawnmower. That was probably, by the time you got there, the fifth time I had mowed it that week. Yeah, just out riding the lawnmower. And I was like, why? You know, she doesn't need to be mowing the lawn. I could mow the lawn for anybody. You know, there's probably a line of about one million people. And I was like, oh, no, she's hiding on the lawn in the lawnmower. <laughs> no, no. No, I could talk to her. No, it can be by her. Um, because I was probably like maybe two or three days after um, it happened. And I'm sure you had thousands of people in and outside of your house. So looking back now, or 
for somebody like me and the thousands of other people that in those moments of like that profound, profound grief or just like I would imagine a space where you don't even feel like you're in reality. Is there a right thing for people to do to support through grief? In my experience, there is never a wrong thing that anyone can do. Um, I know people were very guarded with how they talk to you when that happens, or we had some people who didn't feel like they should come over. Um, In my experience, there was never anything that anybody could do that would have been wrong. Because again, I know it was coming from a place of love, you know, and one thing um, I had to remind Logan, actually both of the boys of um, Logan was saying to me one day, I'm so tired of people asking me how I'm doing. You know, that's the first thing that they asked me. And I said, Logan, that would have been the first thing they would have asked you, even if your father hadn't passed away. Mm-hmm. It, you would have just taken it in a different context. It would have been, hey, how you doing, Logan? And you're internalizing it as, how are you doing? Do you want to talk about your dad? I'm sorry, but I don't know what to say. Kind of awkwardness. And I said to him, all you have to do is say, you know what? I'm doing okay. But what I love is to hear a story about my dad. Is there a story that you want to share with me? Put the ball back in their court because they may want to talk about your dad, but they don't want to make you or us feel bad because they want to talk about your dad. You also want to hear those stories because it it makes him still seem like he's here. So that, I mean, that was one thing that we tried to do was just, you know, help other people along the way while they helped us. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. Um, So you brought up the number 44 Mm -hmm. and I mean, still, if I look at the clock and it's, you know, whatever 44, I'm like, Oh, Hey, Jamie, or I need to call Stacy, or I wonder if I should check on Kane or, you know, it's like that, um, that little angel prompt. Um, you have like 1 million people that do that with you that, that see signs or in their mind for their memory. It's something that triggers a memory of Jamie, but even bigger than that, I think it, it triggers a memory, at least for me of like the love that exists in your family. Um, and it, it is a prompt always to like re-engage and remember to keep the connections with, with people you love. Um, how was that for you when people reached out to tell you, Oh, like I saw a 44 was a license plate with a 44 in front of me, or, 
you know, I can remember your mom, your mom's, um, numbers getting called. Like when she'd go to dinner, she couldn't stop. It would be like sitting at table 44 and you were number 44 on the wait list or, you know, right. Um, and I only ask that because I think there is this sense that like, if I see you and it's a day where you seem quote unquote good, like, I don't want to bring it up. Like you forgot your husband died. You know, like, like me bringing it up is going to remind you that, oh yeah, my husband passed away, you know, (laughs) like, no, um, it, it makes me smile. It makes me smile because it also makes me realize that people haven't forgotten him. And sometimes, you know, I have to catch myself because I'll be like, oh, I haven't talked to him. And it's three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, So that it just, it makes me happy and it makes my heart happy. And um, it gives me hope, you know, so it doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. I think there's just that fear sometimes that it's like the elephant in the room. Everyone knows it it Mm -hmm. exists but people are afraid, you know, I've been afraid to, to ask or to bring it up or to, um, or, or to, or to give the real, like, but how are you question, you know, because that's also a lot to ask of, of you, if you're not in a place where you can go there at that moment. Um, I think you're always very good of like taking it where you're comfortable going that day. Um, but I just wonder sometimes if that feels intrusive because so many people loved him so dearly and love you, all of you so dearly that sometimes I think it can be, at least in my mind, when I think about it, I always wonder if I'm dancing the fine line of like showing you I care and only talking about that topic. Do you know what I mean? I do. But I think that we have so many, well, I just looked at the clock and it's 1244. (laughs) Right. Um, I think that I'm, I'm okay talking about it anytime. And I don't ever find that it's intrusive because I have really opened my heart to a lot of things that didn't exist previous to him dying And, um, and if I can help anyone through my experience, why wouldn't I talk about it? And it doesn't just mean somebody who's lost someone. Um, it, I'm also very open to talk about, you know, the things that I feel guilty about, the things that I did take for granted, the things that, you know, the small things that irritated me that now I'm like, what I wouldn't give. And why did I put so much emphasis on that? And, um, you know, sometimes it's maybe me who's overstepping bounds with my friends in our conversation, because I look at things very differently. And I may say to them, hey, really, like, give your your kid or your spouse or whomever a break. Like, I don't think that that's their intention or stop worrying about what 
other people are going to think because other people are not your priority right now. So, you know, I'm probably the one that's more intrusive of about and non-respecting boundaries than how I feel other people are with me. Um, okay. Let's just walk through some of the things that you just said, because you brought up some other things I want to talk about. First is we've talked about, um, kind of the, like the factual elements of the things that happened since Jamie Mm -hmm. died, but we haven't really talked about, um, what it's changed in you and the process in which it's taken over the last, you know, two years almost to, um, change. This is a, a hard question, but something I've thought about a lot. How do you, how do you get through the moments of his absence. I mean, there's so many things that are habitual about relationships that you have, especially marriage. It's the first person you call. It's the breathing next to you. It is the spot on the couch that's worn a certain way. It's the container that my husband never throws away. It's the, you know, I mean, it's all the things that are like so loving, lovely and endearing. And as you brought up, like so freaking irritating, it's all, but but there is a sudden absence and it's, it's in how you breathe and how you think and how you feel grounded or how you feel safe or how you, how, I mean, how do you even walk I through had, that? I had a um, doctor's appointment two weeks ago and I said to um, my doctor, I just said, you know, I'm concerned that I might be having some heart issues. Mm. And she said, why? And I, I just said, you know, I've always talked about how the word heartbroken to me just sounds like a word. And like, unless you needed a pacemaker or unless you needed, had a heart attack, you know, your heart wasn't broken. You didn't feel that actual energy in that pain. And I said, I'm starting to feel physical pain in my heart and in my chest from time to time. And she went on to tell me that broken heart syndrome is a a real thing. And um, I think that as time goes on, I'm starting to become much more aware of the effects that it's having on my body and um, everything is different. Um, you know, the first year it was a, a literally, like you said before, a year of fog and my days consisted of to-do lists. I just, I wrote a to-do list down and I checked off the boxes and some days I could only check off getting out of bed, taking a shower and eating one meal. And then the next day I would, could rifle through 30 things on the to-do list from the last three days. Um, really for me, it was just honoring how I was feeling each and every minute of every day. Um, 
everything has changed. I, for a long time, walked through the door and that's all I saw because he collapsed in our kitchen. Um, and so probably three months after he was gone, I couldn't not see that and hear those images and those sounds. And so I would look to the living room. And then when I'd look to the living room, I'd see him sitting, you know, with his cheaters at the bottom of his nose, feet on the ottoman, doing whatever. And quickly I knew I needed to remove every piece of furniture from my house. And it wasn't to eliminate the memories. It was to be able to remember the good things um, and, and see the house differently than what I was only focusing on. Um, you know, I have several different routines of things that I do when I'm not feeling, you know, so good. The first year I went and I would take a nap at the cemetery. Um, I would spend hours there every day because I didn't know what to do. Um, I have a grief playlist. You and I know how much we both love music and how we connect to music. And um, I don't care what people think. I will be out on my back patio at seven o'clock in the morning on my knees with my hands in my air in the air. Um, praising and worshiping God because I have realized that checking this new box doesn't define who I am. It, it certainly changed my life, um, but my life was changed the day I met him. My life was changed the day I married him, the day we had our children. This is one life-changing event. Tragic and heartbreaking, but it's one life-changing event. And there is so much goodness that he gave me in 26 years that I have to stop and remind myself that Yes, he's not here. Things are going to be difficult emotionally, physically, mentally, but he gave me so much in his life, but he gave me even more in his death. And he always wanted me to see the world, the world he saw, the one that was filled with just fun and happiness and love. And like I said, I was the pessimist. I was the one always saying no. He was the one always saying yes. <laughs> and um, um, I quickly realized that that was all part of God's plan for us. You know, I, I sat on our back hill the day he died and I just looked at all these people that had come and I realized he had been preparing me for this day by putting 
all of these amazing people in my life because he knew I needed that many people to keep me upright. So I honestly, I just have to get up and I have to celebrate what I had. And it was because of him. So when I get all excited and I run around the house because I fixed the toilet because of a YouTube video, like it would have been something that took him five minutes. It was something that took me four days because I got the wrong part the first day, the wrong part the second day. Finally, I got it fixed and I danced around the house like I did this. I did this. You know, but yeah, so I, everything is different. Everything is different, but every day and every minute I need to celebrate and I need to learn. So I hear you talk about it and it, I feel like if he, you know, you say that all of these good, wonderful things in your life are because of him. And I think about this and wonder if he was here, that he would say that all of the goodness that he was able to do, it was really just because of how he loved you. I think that we were good together. And it's something that for so many years I took for granted. Whether it was he would be here or we would travel more in our empty nesting or, you know, whatever. But, you know, we were good together. Not to say that. There wasn't a lot of rough patches along the way, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's like that's marriage and that's being right. human and that's like evolving right. in your life with with the same person while they're evolving. Right. Right. Yeah. Um you talk a little bit about um not necessarily regrets, but things now that you think of differently or, um, you know, I think one, obviously one of the stages of grief is, is anger. And you, you talk about all this so beautifully. And every time, you know, when I'm, when you've been like, well, it's okay. And I'm like, no, it's not okay. Like I'm mad for you. Like, no, it's not okay. Like I, I wish this was not happening to you. I wish I could fix it or, you know, fix it for your kids or any, you know, have you gone through those stages of anger and specifically, I mean, you are such a person of such deep faith. Have you been mad at God? I have never been mad at God. Never. And, um, I have not been in the angry stage of grief. Maybe that's some denial on my part, but I, from early on, I, 
I had always said, I hope that I never get to that part because I don't know what I would have to be angry about. I really, I don't, I don't know what there is for me to be angry about. He, again, gave me so much in his life, but he gave me so much, so much in his death. You know, the prayers we prayed, a lot of them were answered on July 6th. Every dream we ever dreamed also died that day. Um, my kids, we had prayed for their salvation. I probably prayed a little bit more than, <laughs> than Jamie did. But, you know, our boys know God better today than, than they did July 5th. Um, I love unconditionally. It was something that I struggled with all my life. He was, he was such a good unconditional lover and I was not. Um, I can say that is something that I know that I have gotten better at. It's something that I work at every day. Um, there, there's just so much. And so I don't, I don't know what I would have to be angry about. You know, Jamie would have never wanted to suffer. He would have never wanted the boys and I to have to care for him in a dependent stage. And he died quick. He died relatively pain-free from what I know. Um, his heart never left Mount Calvary, you know. He he died in the very place that he loved. So, I, yeah, I don't, I hope that I never get to an angry stage. And this was God's plan. And I I don't have to like this part of God's plan. So maybe that's the amount of anger that I'm in. I don't like God's plan right now or at that point and here, but I trust God with every ounce of my being. And, and I have seen him work amazing in my life. So there's nothing for me to be angry about. I mean, See, this is why I've like just so much to learn from you and how, I mean, I did before, but as much as I wish it didn't happen, you are like so generous in teaching the rest of us how to move through grief. But everybody's grief is different, you know, and I would never say to anybody, this is how I did it. This is how I do it. This is what you should do. Because I can't do that. That's not fair to them. But you sharing gives people an option, you know, that it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be angry or it doesn't, because at some point, you had to make a conscious choice to look at your situation the way you just described it. Like you had right. to make the choice to see it that way. And I also wanted to be an example to my, to the boys 
I mean, like I have said to the boys, I have said to Jamie's mom and dad and to his sister, you know, I am so sorry. I, I don't know what it feels like to lose a parent, a sibling or a child. I don't, I, I can't, I can't even understand what you're going through. He was one person, but he was a very different person to each one of us. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I have to remind all of them at times too, that they have never lost a a spouse. So, Mm -hmm. you know, they don't understand what I'm going through either. So, and I have the most amazing parents, the most amazing in-laws. I mean, Jamie's, Jamie's family is, you know, and always has been a gift to me. So, and they will always be my in-laws always, you know, that's, that's such a, you just said something that I think is like so profound and something that we just need a reminder of that. I think sometimes as a wife, I forget that, that my husband has an equally important and meaningful and valuable role to play in a lot of people's lives and not just mine. And I feel like that, I mean, that's huge. That's huge. Tune in next week for part two of Stacy's story, where she talks about parenting her adult sons through their grief, what it looks like to be their parent now and what she envisions for her future. She'll also share with us the foundation, Club 44 Foundation, that they formed to help Jamie's memory live on and support their community. It is a beautiful story, and can't wait to see you next week. As usual, if you like what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and share with your friends.